He understood his art form. He understood the history, the politics, the music. The he was there to record the music and worked with the musicians. He was there to check the color with the Technicolor team. He was he understood every component of everything. So, and he was just a really decent man. You know, he had a great. Um, he he was looking always looking out for the underdog, the 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 guy who quite make it even with sports teams and things he never would root for the rich team he he'd always root for the underdog and today i'm talking to patricia kelly creative director at gene kelly the legacy it's so lovely to meet you here on zoom patricia well thank you for doing this i really appreciate it it's always a, i always love getting to chat with people all around the world so i was happy yeah. that you reached Oh no, thank you for, for your time and, and you are doing amazing work um, and it, because you are artistic director of uh, Gene Kelly. Is it a foundation that you have? It's not a foundation. It's a, um, I set up a corporation uh, okay. in 2011. I, it kind of an in anticipation, he would have been 100 years old in 2012. And so I kind of naively thought that it would be very easy to establish this worldwide exhibition and, and everything. And I learned very quickly that that's, A, very difficult to do, very expensive to do, and very, you need to start about, you know, not one year in advance, you need to start many years in advance. So I, uh, so, but I established this corporation, the Gene Kelly Legacy Inc. to just basically promote, uh, preserve and and protect his legacy all around the world. And I think uh, a key part to what I'm working on now is really the promoting to get him out there into the world. And I created, it. so when the exhibition idea did not come through, then I ended up creating my one-woman show called Gene Kelly, The Legacy, that premiered with the Academy of Motion Pictures here in 2012. And the it was such a, the response was so positive that I decided to just kind of take it on the road. And then it just sort of grew and became more personal as it, as it, uh, as I would listen to the audience and I greet everyone after I greet them before they come in and as they leave. And I just listened to their comments and a lot of them wrote letters and things. And so it just, the, 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 the show um, just evolves uh, as I, uh, listen to people and it's a I basically am on stage just weaving these stories um, that Jane shared with me um, between these beautiful film clips up on a live uh, you know up on a screen and amazing but it's a, you- it's a, oh but it's a really personal I always say it's kind of like people go well what, are you singing and dancing and I'm like no 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 I let Jane do all of that and <laughs> and but I, I and they don't know quite what they're going to get because what uh, most uh, wives don't record their husbands every day for over 10 years. It just isn't something uh, I was just very privileged that he gave this story to me to tell. And 
So I always say it's like getting on a little boat with me and you go on this journey. You're not quite sure where you're headed, but you really go into his creative process and and into his mind and into his heart. And you go into the I go into the end of his life and his his death and then how you begin to deal with loss and grief and things. And so if people come out and they often say, you know, I loved him before, but I love him even more now Maybe. because there's so many dimensions to Gene that people just don't know. They they know the guy up on the screen and they love that, but they don't know that he often don't know he directed what you're seeing, choreographed what you're seeing, um, you know, that he was uh, basically the true Renaissance man with um, speaking multiple languages, uh, studying everything, uh, reading a book a day often and just a just a real he just was like a sponge just taking in information and using it to then tell the stories that he wanted to tell so after that then i created a big live symphony tribute to gene that's a full um 70 musicians on stage um, plus bagpipes and snare drums and wow and then i weave the stories about the composers the musicians the arrangers and how gene worked with them to create what you see up on the screen so that that premiered uh in 2018 with the royal scottish national orchestra and it, it's going back out on the road uh next year fortunately we got uh, sadly as you know covid really hit yeah. performing arts mm -hmm. so all of my shows were canceled and we're just beginning to get you know, just beginning to get them kind of back out. And uh, but theaters are very slow because they, uh, they're they saying that people will go to a film, but they are audiences are still a bit reluctant to get into mm -hmm. theaters. Mm -hmm. But now yeah. during this time, I mean, you, you knew him uh, as your husband, but during this time of you putting up these productions and or telling his story and probably going through all his things and have you discovered more about him that you knew before oh absolutely because really? um i think there are two th factors one that just there's so much material that i never had yeah. an opportunity to go through uh and the letters uh say to lawrence olivier's letter to jean and jean's letters to other people the manuscripts the the, the volume of material his house burned to the ground in 1983 and the myth was that he lost everything in the fire well the a lot of the paper and photographs were all in a back room and they survived and wow. but they went in boxes and uh we we were just kind of beginning to i was beginning to get the photographs into archival sleeves and I sat with him and identified who the people were in the photos and got any of his stories. But then, but that was really at the end of his life. And so I'm still unpacking, literally still unpacking boxes. And every day there's something and a lot of things like about our personal life, I never really thought would be in the book that he hired, brought me out to write. I thought that was Gene's story. But after he died, I decided to really use our time together as the base of it and to show how he revealed himself and so a lot of the notes and things that he used to leave for me and different things about our life i i just kind of those went into boxes and so uh, that and those are powerful things you know you pull out i found the note that he left me on the day we got married and um you know i remember 
but now I have the words. I have the actual, I have the items, I have the words from his recording. So, and I think the other factor is you have to think I was, I was a 20, I was 26 years old, 26 to 36 when I was recording him. And I think that I'm 63, almost 64 now. And I think you're you have you have a very different perspective at that age than you have at 26 and not know, even knowing who he was i mean to be completely i just had to get up to speed so fast um because i but i came with no preconceived notion of him which i think was helpful because i just took what he said and then i verified it with primary sources and so i didn't have this image of him in my mind i just listened and then i check the facts you know yeah but of course he would have said he would have told you um also it in a different way than he would have told it to somebody else so you have that firsthand really um how he tells the story and and what it was all about and he probably revealed more to you then uh, well yes and that's a very good way of um thank you for adding that because mm -hmm. that's true i I would listen to him do interviews and I began to call it, I called it the party line because people, the interviewers would come in and they'd, he'd sit with them for half an hour or something and, and they'd leave feeling like they had really gotten access to him, that they really had bonded with him. And, and, and I would just hear the same, he'd stay right above the surface. He, it, it was charming. He was a great storyteller. He was, that you know you had the the smile and that twinkle in his eye were real and you just and he was such a good he was so bright and and everything but and when i started interviewing him i put the tape recorder out i'd put it out on the table and i'd see he was very aware of that tape recorder and i'd say no 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 don't talk to that talk to me um and then i'd hear him speaking and I could hear him editing in his mind you know he's thinking is is this the way I should say it and but over time I think that's what as our relationship grew and his trust and confidence in our relationship then he began to reveal the lower layers and by the end it was really uh he even used the word um uh that said that it was a confessional I mean really that it was he he was revealing things that he had not even thought or said to himself. And so it was a very amazing. That's the way I'm writing the book now is how Gene revealed himself, because I, I think somebody he was 73 to 83. And so that that's and it was the final decade of his life. And he did not have to. I mean, his legacy was intact. He didn't have to go in and really reevaluate what he contributed or how he did it. Um, so I give him a lot of credit for uh, being a man of that stature and and that uh, to to really do the work to to probe and. Um, but he also had, you know, you have to kind of laugh because he was most, of, I think most people don't live with their biographers. So you, you know, yeah. I, I, they, they do a half hour, they do an hour, but they don't have somebody going, no, wait a minute. <laughs> you, oh, yeah. well, yesterday you said this, but today you're saying that. And so what's the, you know, it, it just yeah. kind of constantly but, probing. 
But it is also so wonderful that because you loved him, you you are also going to tell the the real story about him. You're also going to bring him um, the way you loved him, and which is wonderful because it's there's it, we will then get to know him through your eyes as well. And and that's um, that's a, a good way to put it because um, and I think that in the social media posts and things that I've done that that you've seen, I yeah, I, I love those. Yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing was when I started, I first did back in 2011, I was I was like, oh, no, I'm, I can't. I'm not doing that. I'm not going on Facebook. It's going to be just a it's just going to be awful people writing ridiculous things. And so I just kind of started, though, I thought, OK, I can use this and I'll just start and I would post just a picture of him. And I'd just say what it was. I wouldn't have any commentary at all. And then and then gradually over the years, I just kind of started to say a little bit more. I might I kept myself out of it still, but I might give a little bit more about what Jean thought about the picture. And then and then I kind of snuck out even more. I felt like a little animal coming out of the forest. And I, I, I started to, I thought, I'm gonna just try injecting myself and see if I got just shot down. I was worried that people would think that I was trying to push my way into Gene's fame and his celebrity. And I started posting these things and kind of with a personal comment and people just, they went, this is what we want. You know, we yeah. don't get this anywhere else. And this is, and, and the comments were so lovely and so engaging that I really felt that it was a conversation as opposed to just, I mean, obviously there, you know, it's, there are a lot of real big fans and everything, but there's some, even among those, you get these just very thoughtful comments. Mm -hmm. I, you may have seen that people are seeing him in a different light. They're, yeah. they're, they're reflecting on the way that they grew up with him, the way that they knew him, the connection to their parents, their grandparents, their children. And so I love it. I, it's a lot of work. It's, it takes a lot of time because I write everything. I respond to everybody myself. And, um, but I really, I've learned so much and it it really helped me to see that what people want is they really want to know who this guy yes, was. Absolutely. And what I love about how you do it is it's almost like um, going through a photo album, you know, like you tell and, and explain a little bit about the photograph. And it, it's true. I mean, there are things that we would never have seen. Um, because it was uh, quite a long time ago and it was not then on social media. So um, I think it's wonderful that you do that and that you put the time in to do it because, it's, of course, social media, it takes a lot of time. But I think it's a wonderful way to connect. And um, I was also thinking that, you know, these films, it, it's you, you sort of a trigger that, that we start going back to those films, start going because... Sometimes when you post something, you know, I would I would think how oh, yeah, it was that film or or I'll just go and, and check on YouTube something, you know, and and these films that he was part of are extraordinary. I mean, his choreography, his his dancing, his his whole demeanor there is just one of a kind. I always say um 
I always describe Frank Sinatra and Judy Garland and Jean. I always say that they're like comets, um, that they just shoot through our life once mm-hmm. that you don't have, they don't no. come again and you can't, you can't replicate them. You can't do mimic them. Uh, a lot of people try. And that's one of the reasons Jean just said absolutely no to having a biopic done about him because mm-hmm. he's, he, he saw so many, he saw Judy Garland and his friends that just diminished that that this woman that he thought was the brightest, sexiest woman in Hollywood just diminished to this just kind of wreck of a person instead of this this really in bright mind that had a sixth sense of the camera and everything. And so I think, um, yeah, Gene, I, you know, you keep, he kept waiting. He kept thinking there's going to be another guy coming over the hill. There's going to be another, somebody else. And who is it going to be? And I think he thought um, Gregory Hines might be a possibility. Greg Hines was, um, and then Greg Hines died so young. So um, but to have a, some gene was not a triple threat. He was more like a, I always say he was more like a septuple, octuple threat because he's directing, choreographing, dancing, singing, uh, writing, producing. Uh, he he covered the whole spectrum, and there I just don't I don't see I, I've never seen anybody who's been able to do that. And you, I've also heard in, um, in an interview that you mentioned that um, he was actually when he did the the that dance and um, uh, singing in the rain that he was actually not well that he that he had a fever. That that's very true. That's one of the few true things about that movie that you read most really? of it's accurate. Yeah, the thing is. There's so much mythology about the making it. That's why I always say to people, just just write to me, just reach out because don't read any books, don't go online because for some reason, I guess probably because of the great popularity of that film, they're just stories started. But but it is true, Gene was very, very sick when he shot the number. And you have to remember, he's directing, choreographing and starring in it. So he's got three hats. And it, they shot that number in a day and a half. And Gene would go up on the boom of the camera and set the camera shots with a, they had what was called a dance in instead of a stand in, they had dance ins and, and the dance in would do it. So Gene could see the camera angles and the lighting and everything. And then he'd go down, come down and then change into his costume and do the number. And uh, he said that, it was all done on the lot. And so they draped the whole set in black tarpaulin and then hung this rigging for the water. And so what he would do is after they did a take, then usually there's time they have to readjust the lights. Sometimes the bulbs would burst because it would, the lights were so hot back then. And he'd go outside into the sun and just lie on the sidewalk and just try to bake this fever out of him and then go back in and have to do it all yeah you would never guess when you see no, that not at all because i went to see the the that part again to just you know think how it, it's you you almost cannot imagine that it could be ill but now patricia i would love to know your love story how did you meet <laughs> well it's, it's a funny story and just one more thing on the going back to the sing in the rain i think yeah. one of the things people forget is i mean in so many pictures, not only is he sick, he's 
dancing hurt. He's dancing with a sprained ankle. He's dancing with torn hamstrings, with torn ligaments in his ankle. He said, you just, it's a masochistic sport. You just dance hurt. And his partners, Mitzi Gaynor was, uh, had a sprained ankle in the number they did. And, and so I think what people forget is that the degree of professionalism, I mean, that Gene was a real pro. I mean, you show up on time, you show up, you learn your lines, you do your work. There's none of this thing now, which you see so often, which is kind of, oh, I'm tired or, or you know, it, you just, you do your work and and you have to remember what he's doing is he's getting up and he's getting to the studio to, if he's in the picture, he's going into makeup. Um, first thing he gets in his, gets ready, sets the shots, does it, uh, and then they may go to lunch, break for lunch, go back in and do more. And then he comes home and it all starts at home because his assistants are all there uh, meeting with him. And he starts laying out the shots for the next day. And they go till way into the you know, into the late hours of the evening. And then very often there was a gathering at his house of people singing and dancing and playing and playing this thing called the game, the charades that go on until three in the morning. And, and then he has to go, to go to bed and get up and get up and be at the studio by eight o'clock. So it was an intensity and they're shooting six days a week. They're, they're not, it's not five days, it's six days a week. And so the intensity of the work and the creative spirit, but I think also Gene was just, as I've said on some of the posts, his mind just never stopped. It just was always thinking and he's conceiving the numbers in his head and then going on and putting them on people. So I think that it's, it, he was just a real pro and you would never see anything um, it reflected uh, in his pain or his discomfort ever in anything on the screen. So um, how we met, yeah. uh, well, actually I have a funny, I, I hadn't thought of it, but I have this, this is something yeah. my dad did. He blew up this picture, but if you want to see what I look like when I met yes. Jean. Oh, oh so. my goodness. Oh, <laughs> this is beautiful. Oh, um, it was quite a, quite a change from, and I love that in this picture, um, Gene is was the host narrator of a of a, a television special about the Smithsonian Museum in Washington D.C., and I was brought in as I was originally a researcher on it, and I was brought in as one of the writers. They fired the writers and brought me in, and I love this in this picture. I'm sitting there like the little schoolgirl. I've got all my research on my and 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 Gene is I love Gene is like this. It's kind of. But but I it didn't occur to me. I mean, I'd seen that picture. I got it out of the archives at the Smithsonian. And um, because, of course, I didn't take any pictures. You don't take you, we didn't take pictures. No. Now yeah. you didn't cell phones where everything is recorded. Um, yeah. And so but I, I then I looked at it, I went, oh, my gosh, look at Gene. Gene is the star. He's mm -hmm. the key guy. He's on the floor with me sitting down just leaning against one of the the metal the railing kind of things for mm -hmm. so you don't enter the exhibit 
so he he could easily have been off talking to the director and the producers and and or in a green room, you know, just doing getting away from. Him. But he he just sat down sat down with me, and he would tell me these stories that were just so incredible of growing up uh, in Pittsburgh in the Depression and how the Depression affected his family and what he did and uh, that he used to pump gas in order to try to make money to go to college. And they um, so I would sit there and I'd write these stories out really quickly. And then they'd go and put them on cue cards and this scene because there's a gas pump at the Smithsonian. So Gene stood, I had him standing there and he's then tells the story of his pumping gas and how that he thought it would be a way that he could study, but um, he was so handsome that the owner of the the gas station decided to put Gene in a uniform staying out in front to try to attract um, business oh. coming on. So <laughs> But he so he tells the story and 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 then also there's <clears throat> he told me a story about <clears throat> that that what they used to do for entertainment was to lie in the grass and watch the 20th century train go by. It was called the 20th century. And I just thought that was the most romantic image of these yeah. kids lying in the grass, watching a train go by at night that that's your entertainment. And so of course there's a train at the Smithsonian. So I wrote that. And so Gene, unbeknownst to me, was listening and watching and and seeing how quickly I could take what he said and put it into something. And so about six months after this, he he had given me his phone number and I gave him mine and he at the end of the day. And then he called me about six months later and asked me to come out to California. He said he had some writing projects for me to work on. And I didn't know what they were. I just came out and and unbeknownst to me, he had already gotten a agreement and a contract for me to come on as a writer on for his book, Mm -hmm. his memoir. And, um, but as I said, the, the grand irony is that I, I didn't know who he was and until after we finished the shooting, I just like, I just needed to pay the rent. I didn't, I didn't know he was famous. I just, he was charming really? in these stories. I, I just, the, I mean, really he was telling the story in such an, such a charming way of the early 20th century of, being born in 1912 and uh, the depression hitting in 1929. And so it's just this incredibly personal thing. And, and, but I didn't, I didn't know who, I didn't have a clue who he was or he was famous and I'd never heard of singing rain. I was a really nerdy. um, I was actually a Herman Melville scholar. So I was American literature and that was what I thought I would be going into. And um, so it was quite a, it turned out never expecting to come to Hollywood and and to stay. You know, I just I and I came then out. How did how did he pop the question then? Uh, well, I moved in with him right away. Um, mm-hmm. Most people didn't know that, but I I lived with him, and I think I think the funny thing was that he'd always sworn he would never get remarried. I, I'm the third known as the third and final wife is my headline. Um, 
and his the second wife had died in 1973. So I he'd always just said in every interview, nope, I'll never get married again, never. Because I think it gave him immense freedom. I think that way he could be around the world and he could go out with all of these women everywhere, but nobody, he couldn't. Yeah. You know, then the tabloids didn't have anything because he said, oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to get married. And then here he's got this woman who's recording him every day, who's living with him. And he's kind of going, hmm. <laughs> and so it was not, I have to say, I mean, it was kind of so classic Gene because, um, you know, it was definitely was not getting on one knee and uh, proposing. It was kind of, it was more like uh, you're around, I guess I should marry you after five, <laughs> five years. He waited five years to do it. And, and, and of course I was ecstatic, but I never, I never expected it would happen because he was so adamant. And so I never, I never really dreamed that would be possible. And then the funny thing was that he was, he said to me, he said, um, he was so, he was like a little kid. He got a new blazer and the, they sewed uh, buttons with his initial on them, gold with a K on it. And he was so tickled. He put it on and he said, I, I should have done this a long time ago. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so we had a secret marriage up at the courthouse in Santa Barbara. And it was so secret that everybody knew about it. So um, oh. <laughs> it was like we show up at the courthouse and he said, oh, hi, Mr. Kelly, you're here for your secret marriage. And Michael Jackson was here yesterday for Barry Gordy's secret marriage. I mean, so oh, but okay. it, it was amazing it was just um I, you know you you think it really won't mean that much but it really did mean that much it really mm -hmm. meant a lot and um and and interestingly um and this will sound very odd but it was when the the it was a just judge who married us and and he uh his words were really lovely and um was the first time I I really it sank in that Jean would probably die before I did, and I, I just I, I just never saw him as old. I never saw him as I, I I just saw him as this vibrant, incredible man, and and it really was I just it hit me that that standing out of the grass um, that he likely would predecease me, and and um, but it was really. It was great fun, and we had our honeymoon at the Bel Air Hotel, and and it was oh, just, uh, yeah, it was just a really, yeah. But I think isn't it wonderful that you, um, I mean, you you must have loved him very much to still continue and still try to uh, keep his legacy alive. Well, I, he appointed me um, sole trustee of of his image, um, and he said to me, he said, um, you know, I really want to be remembered for being behind the camera. I want to be remembered for changing the look of dance on film and for creating a particularly American style of dance. And he said, you know, if anybody's going to do it, it will be you. And I, so I've always felt this kind of responsibility Um and the fact that he just entrusted me by by giving me his his archives and that's what i inherited that i felt that that 
It's a kind of thing that my grandparents, um, who were farmers, felt about the land, that it's a kind of stewardship um, that you... I don't really, you don't own this stuff. You are a steward. You are the one yeah. um, who is, the responsibility is to, as I said, preserve, protect, and promote. Um, and and just, um, and and then on the other side is that it's it's so much fun to, to share him because I, I go and I speak all around the world. I do these shows around the world and it's really in, as you said, it's connecting it's engagement. Yeah. It's a way to connect with people because I always say, why are we on the planet? If we're not going to connect with people, then you might as well walk away from it because I think that it's this engagement, this, this, um, the, the ability to, to move people or to listen to people or to, and Gene felt that it particularly, it's one of the reasons he liked Broadway better than he liked the movies, because he could hear the audience, he could listen, yeah. and he, it, it, he could adjust, and he knew that even though he's playing these rascals like Joey, pal Joey, he could get the audience back on his side by singing and dancing and bring them back, even though they're all like this. And um, and he would listen. And I, I find myself listening as well. I listen to the audience. I can hear the laughter. You hear the tears. You hear pauses, gasps and things. And I think then then I kind of move or can adjust. And, and you just feel like it's meaningful. You, know, you feel like it's yeah. something... Gene is gone, um, and the absence is huge. But it, it helps me to deal with the absence by being able to share share him, and for people to say, "Wow, I I never knew that about him. I never knew he was that he was such a genius." Really, I think a lot of times they kind of figure that he was just kind of this, you know, very talented. Um, athletic dancer but they don't know that he spoke French he spoke Italian he spoke Yiddish that that he went in when he studied ballet in Chicago he went to the University of Chicago and read all of the history of dance in French because it hadn't been translated yet so he wow. he didn't he understood his art form he understood the history the politics the music the he was there to record the music and worked with the musicians. He was there to check the color with the Technicolor team. He was, he understood every component of everything. So, and he was just a really decent man. You know, he had a great, um, he, he was looking, always looking out for the underdog, the, the, the guy who quite make it even with sports teams and things he never would root for the rich team he he'd always root for the underdog and mm -hmm. and um you know very he he was part of the <laughs> it's hard to believe the, um the crusade the anti-lynching crusade in the 40s to try to get legislation to stop lynching um in the united states and the leg it didn't pass, but he was on a list of with Einstein and many of these people and and going out to try to promote this thing that you you think such an important thing that it would pass for sure, but yeah. it didn't. Um, and so he was always kind of at the forefront, the forefront of the rights of the performers and things like that. So, and he was funny. He was funny in a. Um, 
a kind of not a stand-up comedy way, not not like uh, not like, uh, but in a very dear, funny. He'd make funny faces and kind of make make. He'd cut out cartoons out of the newspaper and stick them up on the refrigerator and pictures of monkeys. And he'd say you. And so it was a very um, I was always just cracking up and just falling on the floor because he'd do something goofy. And mm-hmm. you see a bit of that in an invitation to the dance when he plays. He's the he's in the blue uh, costume of Pierrot. He's and he kind of he has bells on and everything. And he makes these funny faces. And that those are things he would do to break me up at home really so you can you can actually now identify also in his films the real character that he has you know that you say oh, now yeah you know, yeah you can see it and that's why one of the things the hardest one of the hardest things for me to watch is a movie that he wasn't crazy about was xanadu in 1980 because he looks just like he did when I met him in 1985 and the way that he gets out of the chair and the way that he walks across the room. I mean, it's balletic in just the way he would walk across a carpet. So the way he would cross our, our floor in the living room is what you see in that movie. And the way he answers the phone, talks to the phone and, um, and the way he, you know, it's very, I mean, obviously he's playing a character, but you see little, I can see yeah. little hints of things and the way he calls Olivia Newton-John babe um, is the way he would talk to me. And so, yeah, I can see little, little bits, but he is definitely playing characters, but the it's infused with some of these things that he would also do around the house. So. But um, these films are so classic and they are so... Um, easy to watch even now and I mean this this was a few years ago um and, and yet there hasn't been anything like that being made again uh, it's that's the one thing Gene always said I mean Sing in the Rain is 70 years old this year so um and I think people they just it's hard to even believe that because yeah. it seems so fresh and bright and Gene said the hardest thing with the challenge was to create something that's both contemporary and timeless. And that um, I think Sing in the Rain by being a, a period piece, um, has, it kind of helps in a sense because it isn't it isn't set in the 1980s or the 70s. Or, but, yeah. but I think the thing is you've got, you have such a witty script. You have the Betty Comden and Adolph Green script that doesn't dumb anything down. It isn't, it's, um, and the humor works. And that's, I think, very unusual because I think humor often is, dictated by the time so everybody goes oh that was really 70s humor or something but this is just sort of and it's universal it works for any any country any language works for men and for women works for a two-year-old and 102 and i can't think of i'm like you i can't think of anything that really does the Mm -hmm. the the problem is as gene said that a couple of problems. One is that musicals are very expensive to make. Um, and the the thing that they had there, obviously there were drawbacks to the studio system, but 
But the positive thing is that you had all of these extraordinary talents under one roof, essentially. So you'd have the the writers over here, the choreographers and dancers and the costume designers and the set designers. And they're all so they can all be in one spot, whereas now at the expense of bringing somebody in, flying in a set director, flying in a choreographer, putting them up, um, not you know, many don't live in Los Angeles. And when when uh, my friend Damien Chazelle made La La Land, he tried to mimic that by he rented a big space out in the valley, a big warehouse space, and he tried to put everybody under one roof so that the the dancers and choreographers and producers and music music people are all watching clips of things, old movies, they're talking together. Um, so that's the closest I've really seen of that type of collaborative effort, but it's it's hard to um so it's expensive. So most uh most studios don't want to take a risk. Now you don't really have studios like you had. Now you have conglomerates. So so General Electric owns, uh, so you've got these business people owning studios now, and it's not so much about filmmaking, it's about the bottom line. And whereas, I mean, some of these studio heads loved movies. I mean, they loved movies and some of them were real, you know, Gene didn't, wasn't, uh, didn't like Louis B. Mayer, head of MGM. They didn't really get along, but but to his credit, Louis B. Mayer loved movies, and um, and and was that's what they were committed to making. That's what that was about. Versus now, and I think the other thing is talent. Um, yeah. How many how many triple threats do you know? How many people do you know who can sing, dance, and act? Um, even Gene said casting Hello Dolly was very difficult and it's 1969 so you would think that by now there would things would have morphed but you've got some really great dancers but they might also be talented in one form of dance they might be the strongest in classical ballet or in tap but they never studied classical ballet and then they might sing but they can't act or they might be able to act but they can't sing or you know so i think hence you get a lot of people stars um obviously studios wanting to make sure they make enough money put non-dancing non-singing stars in and then they have people you know put them at a distance and have dance-ins for them so they're it's not they're not really doing the dance it's somebody distance. And so you lose a lot of the, and then I think too, they nobody really knows how to shoot a musical. And I really wish Gene had been able to have a, a kind of protege that could go on and and would really be able to understand what he was doing. Because now you've got all these people shooting different angles and odd angles and quick shots and cutting quickly and. And the dance is gone. It's just like yeah. this hypnotic thing that people, I think they think they need to make it look like a Pepsi commercial or something to get people's attention. And Gene always insisted, and Fred Astaire too, that you shoot head on and full figure and you don't chop it up. You you keep, and people say, oh, no, 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 young people don't have any attention span. And 
I hated when people true. said it. Yeah. I did too. I mean, I said, I don't know what young people you're hanging around, but you show them this. They're, <laughs> no. they're like glued to it. And then they go, no, there's no cut here. And I said, no, there's a cut, but it's on the turn. You just don't notice it. So yeah. this notion that you dumb things down for an audience, I think is, uh, so I'm, so, but it's hard because you take a risk and and so now it's easier it's easier to take a, a broadway show and turn it into a musical a movie musical or take a movie musical and make it a broadway show yeah. so there's no it's very rare that you get somebody investing in a in a new work and mm-hmm. and then investing in maybe uh, someone who isn't a big name to be in it because they're going no oh, no we got to go with a star or something so yeah. so it's a, it's a hard business i wish gene were well i i you know i say i wish he were here to kind of guide people but the thing mm-hmm. is even at the end of his life it, it was kind of ageism that came in that that people didn't think how could a 70 or 80 year old have a good idea about something and he wanted to work with michael jackson and and create a, a movie of frankie and johnny and and it would have been incredible with he wanted music done by quincy jones and dance theater of harlem and and it would it would have it we'd still be watching it and but the handlers all just you know they they kind of thought well you know kelly can't can't he wouldn't know what to do in the 80s and 90s to make make a sensation of of michael jackson and instead you you know they basically killed off michael jackson you know and the thing is what it's this is so sad because he has all this knowledge and all this experience and it could have you know, just sparked it for somebody else or for a younger person to carry on that legacy and to carry on that way of working, that work ethic, that way of, like you say, this experience of how to shoot, how to direct. And um, yeah, I, it's, that for me is always so sad when, when age comes into as a bad thing, you know, and it's, it's really a good thing. Well, and Francis Ford Coppola, um, he brought <clears throat> he brought Gene in, uh, and Michael Powell to come in and add, uh, try to uh, kind of do exactly what you're saying. But then, as as Francis admitted himself, he said to me when I went to the they had recut it and put it back together. He said I I didn't listen to him and. I, I should have. Um, he was right. And I listened to him. And because I didn't listen to him, I didn't shoot it the way it should have been shot. And now I don't have the footage. And so he couldn't, he would have redone, you know, put that in, but he couldn't yeah. because it wasn't done. And so I think the, his ego at that time didn't allow him to listen. And then um, I ran into uh, the actor Robert Downey Jr. and Gene thought he was a great talent. And I said, mm-hmm. I said, um, I wish you'd, uh, he said, I, I just said, I just wanted you to know that um, mm-hmm. Gene really admired your work. And, and he said, that's amazing. Just, just uh, today I was talking to somebody saying, I wished I'd been able to apprentice with Gene Kelly. Really? And, mm-hmm. and I think that would have been, and Damien Chazelle, do i mean it's damien's very bright and does really good work but i think that would have been just an incredible 
he would have just absorbed everything and he would have done his own work, but he would have absorbed it. And he did come here to the house to see the archives. He came with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone and Mandy, the choreographer, uh, to look at the archives and study things. And so I give him a lot of credit for that. And he asked Mm -hmm. a lot of questions about the use of the camera and another person I wish Jane had been able to work with is Guillermo del Toro, because I think he, uh, you know, G- Guillermo really admired Jean, and Jean uh, they would they would have had an interesting collaboration as well. This kind of vision visionaries. Um, so, but I think um, if I can at least get people to look at his work, and I can share yeah. what he said about the work, that's a way in. It isn't perfect. He's not here, but um, I can be sort of the intermediary to show them things that they might not have noticed and, and maybe absolutely. things they can Yeah, so. absolutely. And that could be the inspiration for somebody, you know, and um, maybe for a younger person to be inspired by that and to carry that on. I think this is wonderful work that you're doing. But uh, Patricia, tell me now, what is your wish for the future? What is your wish uh, for this uh, legacy of of uh, Jean. It's it's interesting. That's a good question because I've I kind of have had it that it's rolling out sort of sequentially. So the first was the one woman show, then the um, symphonic show, and then we one thing I always wanted was to remount the ballet that Jean did for the Paris Opera Ballet in 1960. And uh, we managed to do that during COVID lockdown uh, with, I did it with Scottish Ballet and the artistic director, Chris Hampson, and I got on Zoom calls and we just, he fast tracked it uh, and and we just went, met with the, on Zoom with the set designer and we didn't even know if it was going to be able to open, whether an audience would be able to be there. And in uh, the fall of 2021, we just had a little window between one, they just opened up and we we uh, launched it and it's now called Starstruck. And uh, Chris Hampson kind of created a little, uh, it's kind of like Jean's is left intact as kind of the jewel. And then Chris kind of created this kind of encapsulated it in a story. So it's, it kind of becomes a story within a story. And so that premiered in uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh and it sold out in great success. And, uh, and it will um, now tour, begin to tour around the world. So it will. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So that, that'll become, that'll start coming out probably in 2024. The the DVD is about to be released. So people will get to see that. And then um, I always wanted, uh, I always wanted an Hermes scarf for Jean. Jean thought a scarf was a perfect accoutrement for a woman. And so I, I um, mentioned it. Uh, I, I wrote an eight part radio series about Jean for France Musique last summer mm-hmm called Jean Kelly et moi, and the head of it, a lovely guy named Marc Vanchet, I I mentioned about the scarf, kind of thinking, oh, sure, you know, of course you dream you want an Hermes scarf. And turns out he had lunch with the head of Hermes, uh, his friend, uh, and I got a call the next week to set up this meeting. And again, during COVID, we worked together to create the the foulard, the homage à Jean Kelly. So that came out in... And then um, 
my next thing, I I think that I think that it's time to uh, finish the memoir about Jean. So I, I I really want to finish it now. It's time. I I need to just, but I need kind of encapsulated time to do that. I can't. I'm not the kind of person who can kind of jot it down in a cafe and then do other things. I need to really get immersed in it in the, because it isn't, it's hard. Even doing the radio series, listening to his voice again, you're just, it's like, you know, there's, there's great joy that I have that, but there's also, it's like, it's like, Oh, he's not here anymore. And Oh, if only he were here and I could ask him the next question. And if, and I, so you, so by getting back into it, I, the absence is harder and harder and greater. And so, but I have to, I kind of push through that. I just have to get into it. And, and, and I did love, I had earphones on and was listening in the Paris, the hotel in Paris. And I'd just be like, oh my God, because he's, he sounds, he's sitting, he's in, when I interviewed, he's literally sitting next to me, but he's right there i mean you just feel him right there and and that was the first time for the radio program that i ever allowed anyone to hear him talking to me and so that's it and then so if the book and then i have i want to do a, a book of the photographs of gene that were done by people like robert kappa eisenstadt steichen um bob willoughby the so i want Jean Mili, he was good friends with these people. And so I want it to be the reflection of how they saw Gene and how Gene saw them and have his commentary, but have it done beautifully on beautiful paper. And to really, a lot of these great photographers, people don't know anymore. They don't know who Jean Mili is and that he did the stroboscopic photographs of Jean. And so, so that's kind of like, I want the memoir, but I want that to be kind of a, a, a second volume. And then I'd like a third volume that is the um, objet. It's the, the, his Converse tennis shoes. It's his, the little handwritten. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm the um the things in the archives that people uh want to see and have those photographed beautifully and and have his the commentary that would go with that and then then the the next thing that i want to do so it's like the next thing i want to do is an exhibition of um jean's the artwork that jean had in his home before his fire uh, a lot of it was lost um the artwork he got after the fire and then the artwork that he and I collected. And because I had a little, I found in the archives, I found this little box. You know, these are these treasures. You just find things and, you know, that I never knew existed. And then I'm digging through and I find, and so he would, let me see if I can find one that has his, um, so this is, um, an artist. So this, this is this is a picture um, of a painting that Jean had of uh, women's hats, um, Jacques de Thierens, and Jean's right written, written on this. this um, is real and very good, and so uh, that did go up in the fire. So I've been trying to learn more about that artist and 
And then I, I obviously can't replicate that painting, but I've tried to find either similar works or if they're lithographs and things that I'm able to find, like this one, um, I was able to find, um, it's oh, uh, wow. Pierre Bonnard and it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, I don't know if you can see it, but it's, um, yeah. it's, uh, it's a young girl reading. And so Jean had that, mm-hmm. it went up in fire but i was able to get another in the edition so um so for you know i don't have i don't have the funds to i would love to have the picasso pictures and things that he had. <laughs> you know i kind of look and i go oh the price on these things are i would never be able to get but um but at least i try to find because i would like people to walk in and feel immersed in his vision, the what he saw, what what was beautiful to him, what was stimulating to him. Absolutely. And, yeah. When you look at the American in Paris ballet, it's not about dance. And the dance is actually he had to pull the dance down um, and not let it take over because it's really about the artists. It's about the painters and about this American's how the paintings and the artist um, reflect the emotions of this guy. And so I, I think if you can kind of bring that into how, how Jean saw um trio and uh, Van Gogh and uh, um, Renoir and, and uh, Toulouse-Lautrec and Dufy, and the way that he used their paintings to tell the story and show the emotions and things. And so I, I don't, you know, I, I kind of, what I do is I just, I sit around and I think I'd like this, you know, and then yeah. and I'm sure people think, Oh, it's all pie in the sky. But so far, everything I've dreamed, I've, it's happened. I've made it a reality. Amazing. So just keep well, rolling I'm- along. Well, people who who have made wishes on my channel, their wishes have come true. So um, it's great. It's good that you have that energy as well, that your wishes come true. Mm -hmm. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, I think there people always, they used to say to me, like, when uh, you'd never written a book before, how did you say yes to Jean that you were going to write a book? And I said, but I couldn't imagine saying no to it. And I think there, I think there are people, I think they're dreamers. I think there are people who are visionaries who have constantly are conjuring new things like Jean always, Jean was always thinking and always ahead of his time. And, and then I think there are people that just, it just doesn't even that they're not that type of person just don't. Mm -hmm. And, and they always say, no, I can't do that. No. And I don't even know that word. I mean, I just don't even, I I don't know. I, I, I've never, everything is, you know, it's, if there's a barrier, then it's, you just jump over it. You find a way. So I try to talk to young people about that, about, that that no is not a very productive response it's an easy response but it's not a doesn't allow you to to expand and to i mean to i always say i've had a remarkable life it's been a a a wonderful run um it, it hasn't been easy it hasn't there's been there have been a lot of bumps along the way and it doesn't have the security of a job of a job that like going in at nine to five and where you get a paycheck and you, you have retirement and you have uh, some, I have none of that. I have no sense of security in my life. 
I have no, um, I don't know where I'll be next month. I don't know. Um, but I can't imagine living any other way. I, I obviously, if you had some kind of security and financial security in some sense that things were, um, or, you know, retire retirement. I don't even understand that word. What is that word? Who, who wants to retire? You know, because exactly. I'm, I think if you love what you're doing, I love what I do. I, I love meeting with these young people. They come here. I, I, I've cooked dinner for 55 of the dancers and out of my toaster oven. It's hilarious. And and the fact that the privilege that they want to come here and see the archives and spend an evening of, you know, when they have a week in L.A. and they want to devote one to here is like, wow, who gets that? Who gets yeah. to be friends with Matthew Bourne uh, in uh, New Adventures in London and Chris Hampson at Scottish Ballet and Hope Muir at the National Ballet of Canada. And I mean, just these immense talents, Guillermo del Toro, um, Damien Chazelle, it's, it's such a privilege to be able to represent the legacy. And I, I love the interaction and the getting to share Gene and, exposing people to the sides of him that they don't know and that they appreciate and understand him better because it makes it, it just keeps going. Then I think it'll, his legacy would be fine without me. I mean, he, he, these movies are not going to go away, but I think what is nice is that people have, they see him as a whole, as opposed to just this one dimensional figure and, and they understand that he changed yeah. things. I do think it's important that uh, the work that you're doing, and I do think you are a very important part of this whole legacy because you tell the story and you show him the way you saw him. And I think this is something very unique that no other person could do because you loved him. And I think this is wonderful that that you do that. And I think your part in this whole um Thing or the, this, the, the part that you play in uh, uh, keeping his legacy alive is so important. And he must have known that as well to, to have asked you to write his, uh, to write the book about his life. It's, it, I, I still walk around and I, I just, how on earth is this? But I mean, I don't, I just, I mean, it's just was like um, the actor, the actor Roddy McDowell kind of took help, kind of took me in after Gene died. He said, "Oh my dear, you were like Alice falling down the rabbit hole because it just it's not my world." And how did yeah. how how out of all of these people who were just clamoring to get at Gene, did he pick me? You know, and and well, um, he knew. and then. How, <laughs> How did, it, how did it work? How did he see in this, you know, woman with his long hair and this clogs and this, you know, just a man's lumberjacket? What did he see? And then, and then to trust me with carrying yeah. it on and give me specific things. And um, and and I think also, I think one of the greatest things was that he trusted me with his end of life care, which um, was really a. a bonding experience to to go through that kind of thing with someone so intimately and to um to really know that he would be cared for and he would be able to die the way you know he said i i would like to die at home and i'd like to die without pain and i 
um, I promised him both. And it was very hard to, because of his celebrity, it was very hard to accomplish both because everybody begins to think about themselves instead of about the person for that. So, but we yeah. managed. And um, so it was a really, but that was an incredible part of the story of um, just how, the communication and the conversations about the, his end of life and what he wanted and what he didn't want and everything. And, and so that again was a real privilege to have that, have somebody share yeah. that. Yeah. And I think he had seen it. I had helped a couple of his friends die. And I think, so Gene knew kind of, he, he had pre-seen um, what, what I would do. And I think that gave him the comfort. So yeah, it was a really, I mean, who would have thought that it would have amazing? Who would have thought? I mean, a, a, you know, with the 46 and a half year age difference that I never noticed. I never, never noticed it. I just, I, he, he just was this vibrant mind and just always in control and his faculties and drop dead gorgeous and just so charming and engaging. So, I, who would have thought, but it, you know, it works, it works so well, um, yeah. works so well. People Amazing. didn't think it would, and people were critical and people tried to take it down and everything. But um, I, I think, I think in the end, you know, we, we, we really kind of looked at each other and said, are we going to let, let other people take this down or are we going to make this work? And we agreed to just make it work and to not mm. let Carmen, well, yeah. yeah. Well, that's um, you experience true love then that not many people experience, which is wonderful. Well, I think people always ask me. It's a funny question. They always say, "Well, why haven't you remarried?" And it's kind of like, well, I think there again, there's this some kind of notion that you're not quite you're sort of half a person if you're not married mm -hmm. or something that you need this other in order to fulfill yourself. And, but I also say, you know, it's a pretty hard act to follow. You know, yeah. have, you, have, you, have you thought of, can you, any ideas of somebody who's going to match that? I don't think so. So why would you, yeah. um, why? And I think too, Gene is such a huge figure in my life. So it would take a very strong personality to be able to, allow gene to remain in my in this capacity i don't think i, th I don't think most people you, you would have to be a, someone of equal stature in order to and be so secure in your own life in your own and and there but I, I the funny thing is you know i love it now i can go out i can go out i can be with 50 dancers and I can stay out till three in the morning and I can do what I want and I can yeah. enjoy all of it. And like, so it's, I don't know why there's this pressure from people that you, that I you have to have uh, someone to, like I say, to kind of fulfill that, that I really like my life. I like, I miss him terribly, but I, I love my life. So but this is, uh, Patricia, this was such a wonderful conversation with you. And thank you so much for sharing all this and and giving also 
us a, a sort of a, a insight into the life that you had with with Jean, and I wish you all the best for all these projects that you are planning. I think it's so important that you do that, and I really wish that they that all these wishes of yours come true. And I have a wish, and I wish that you can come to Vienna and bring this ballet here or some of his. That's a good, I mean, I, that's interesting. The ballet would be perfect. The symphony show would also be brilliant. Yeah. So okay. I really, and there's a huge film community there. So I think it's, yeah. I, I spoke with people several years ago and we kind of started the conversation, but it just didn't, at that point, it just hadn't quite gelled. And and now, but now I think it's time to to revisit that. So I, I, I've never been to Vienna. I, I had a wonderful time in Salzburg and Jean was in Vienna and shooting in Munich and Salzburg and, um, went for the devil makes three and i have his his comments about all those places so it'd be really fun so let's yeah. let's make that happen i i think that will happen yeah so let's yeah. just and then i want let's to come back it. yeah <laughs> yeah no no i think that's a if it's just a matter of doing it we just have to connect exactly. the dots it's just exactly. it's yeah. getting the right person and the right conversation and and it's funny how once you kind of commit to that, then things magic does happen. So I'll see you in person. I, I that's a Absolutely. that's a definite. Yeah, and maybe we can even do another one of these um, when I get the book out next year. And uh, I, I think I'll finish it next year, and I'm hopeful it'll come out in 2024. Is kind of my goal. Yeah. If let's let's absolutely do that. I would. I support you 100%. If there's anything you want to get out there, then let me know. Great. We do that okay. Now. Thank you. And so I do after. like your idea of getting starstruck to Vienna. So let me talk to the Scottish ballet people because yeah. they've been talking about Paris and London. And But mm -hmm. I think Vienna would be wonderful for that. It, it it's, would be it, amazing. Yeah. It's no. really, it, it's yeah. hot. It's George yeah. Gersh. <laughs> And F. It's they described it as a leggy, sexy, modern ballet when it came really? out in 1960, and it is still a leggy, sexy, modern ballet. And okay, so it has it, to come to Vienna, definitely. Okay, let's make let's make that. We've got a lot of things that we can cook up. So I'm I'm just delighted. Thank you so much for it's for a having great me. pleasure and a great privilege. And um See you soon, Patricia. Until soon, yes, yeah. I agree. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thank Ciao. you, bye. Okay. Bye. Okay.